Wine, Food, Talk. NapaBroadcasting.com. Thanks for joining us here at Napa Broadcasting. Back in the late 60s, as the nation went through its last serious paroxysm of political and social upheaval, California was front and center. Haight-Ashbury, Berkeley, the University of California, the music scene in Los Angeles, the free speech movement, the assassination of Bobby Kennedy, the age of Aquarius, and the rise of Ronald Reagan were all California iconography of the time. Joan Didion called it the golden land, where the dream was always teaching the dreamers how to live. Today, California is once again ground zero, this time of the resistance. It's 39 million residents, it's booming economy, it's changing demographics, it's cultural capital and it's digital diversity, a role part of the California that is, as usual, inventing the future. So how do we, even Californians, keep up with it? Well, one of the best ways today is the California Sun morning newsletter. I can't tell you what my inbox looks like by 6 a.m., but as I sort through it all, one of the two or three key things that I read immediately is the California Sun. It's edited, published, in the brainchild of my guest, Mike McFate. Mike McFate spent many years at the New York Times. He wrote the California Today newsletter for the Times. He's held reporting and editing jobs at the Washington Post and the New York Sun, and he's an adjunct professor at Cal Poly San Luis Obispo. It is my pleasure to welcome Mike McFate here to Napa Broadcasting. Mike, thanks so much for joining us. Hi, Jeff. Thanks for having me. Well, it's great to have you here. First of all, talk a little bit about the birth of the California Sun, why you left doing the California Today newsletter for the Times to to really begin this enterprise. There's a few reasons. I think the first or the the foremost one was, you know, I've always had a bit of an entrepreneurial strain in my brain. (laughs) And, uh, you know, I, I came out, I came back to California from New York a couple years ago and was just noticing a proliferation of little newsletter shops that were making a go of it with, you know, one or two or three people and being quite successful. And uh, after doing the newsletter for the, for the times for a while, I couldn't get the thought out of my brain that, well, maybe I could just do this on my own. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the the technology to do it uh, at a low cost, you know, at an affordable cost um, only has sort of, emerged in the last five, six, seven years. So just those things kind of aligned all at once, and I was ready for a change and thought I'd give it a go. And of course, the other part of it is that California is front and center right now. I mean, it's no accident that that the New York Times does its California Today newsletter and spends so so much in terms of resources covering California. Yes, California is a big deal to the New York Times. Uh, There's just a huge readership in California for that newspaper. I think it I think it's bigger than New York. I, I guess it's not surprising just because there's, you know, forty million people here. But yeah, so there was that and then the uh the political context as well played a part. People started paying a lot more attention to California because of the uh presidential campaign. So the Times saw California as really an, an important part of its uh its strategy and, and sort of growing its readership. The other aspect of it is that it's kind of never a dull moment in California. What other state can you look at and say that the state, there's a group of people, a large group of people in the state that would like to secede from the country, and then there's a whole group of people in California that want to secede from the state? Yeah. There's so much happening here. It's, not, you know, it's the political stuff. It's the uh, it's Silicon Valley. It's Hollywood. It's the natural beauty. I, I At the Sun, I, I pay quite a bit of attention to... Just the splendor of the state. 
Uh, people like to um, learn about little nooks and crannies of the state they hadn't heard about before, so I'll do little like travel-style pieces to tell people about this really cool, beautiful place in the Mojave Desert you never heard of and stuff like that. So there's just so much to... There's just a, such a rich amount of stories to be done here. And in fact, you, you, you cover environmental issues. I think it was today that you had a piece, uh, a John Muir piece. Yes. So John Muir uh, arrives in California for the first time. Uh, what's the date today? The 28th. So 28th. He, he arrived last night, 150 years ago, March 27th, and did his famous walk from San Francisco to the Yosemite Valley. And that sort of kicked off the environmental movement in a way because he just became so enthralled by that place. He, he decided to stay on and you know, the rest is history. Talk a little bit about what you're doing in terms of this newsletter and really the nexus between it and what you're seeing with respect to journalism, daily journalism in California today. It's a depressing scene, as you know. Um, the, uh, just a number of journalists in California and across the country has been cut by more than half you know, in the last 15 years. There's a lot of people like me, I think, that uh, are looking at sort of new um, innovative ways to sort of try and reinvent the field, see if, if there aren't new things we can try that are going to catch on and, and have resonance with people. So that, that was definitely part of my thinking when I started this was that this is such a sort of period of tumult, it's the time to be trying to, to, to invent new things. So that was, that was part of the impetus for the newsletter. And to what extent, on the other hand, is there a reliance on what's going on in newspapers today and, and sort of traditional journalism of uncovering some of the things that, that you point out every day? Oh, I rely on it almost 100 <laughs> percent. I do, you know, I do some reporting. I'm a, I'm a two-man shop. It's me and my editor, uh, Andrew Zoller. So obviously I can't, I can only do so much. Uh, so I rely, I rely wholly on you know, working journalists in California, what I, what my service is really is sort of giving you a guide to all of the reporting that's being done. Um, so I, I kind of see my job as a, as a service-oriented job where I'm not creating a whole lot of original stuff. You know, occasionally we'll report something that's, that's new and is, is kind of a little scoop. But um, for the most part, I'm telling readers what they should be looking at. Talk a little bit about what you're seeing, because you're seeing all of this news, you know, every single day. What are some of the themes? What are some of the repeating issues that, that you just see that not only have been coming up over and over again, but that you expect to become even bigger over the course of the next year or so? The big one is housing. It's almost, it's almost too much, you know. Um, there's a huge appetite for any kind of coverage of how to deal with California's housing crisis and what they're, what kind of solutions they're trying to come up with up in Sacramento. And so the, the, the demand is huge. The amount of stories being done are huge. So I find myself like more of a pr process of culling. Like I don't want to do too much on housing because there's just so much to, to say about it. So that's, that's a really big one. And then, you know, the, the California versus Trump theme is huge. So anytime there's a new development in this sort of ongoing skirmish between uh, our state leaders and, and Trump. It's not just Californians that are interested. It's, you know, the whole nation is, is interested in how California is responding to uh, the Trump administration. 
As a result of that, it's so interesting to see the way California is being portrayed now in the rest of the country. Every time it seems that there's even the slightest bit of of bad news in California, whether it's a fire, whether it's political news, you know, whether it's changing demographics. If you look at the way it's being covered, particularly in the world of Fox News or Breitbart or Drudge, it's always making California sound like it's about to fall into the ocean. It's it's fascinating. I, I do look at Breitbart every day just to see the way, you know, they have a California page. And I do mm-hmm. look at other conservative outlets um, every day. And, yeah, it's a horror show. <laughs> and uh, I, I look at that with a grain of salt. It's more just like what just checking in on what, how, how we're being portrayed. I, I, I honestly don't look at Breitbart as sort of an honest <laughs> arbiter of, of California coverage, but I am interested in how it's being portrayed. Uh, I wish I could explain what's going on there. It, 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 I, think, I think you need sort of an evolutionary biologist to, to <laughs> sort of bring the lens of, uh, of, of tribal, you know, tribal mentality to, right. to, to bear on that question. <laughs> but there's definitely this sort of, us versus them attitude among certain members of the of the conservative press with regard to California is the question. Yeah. The other thing that's happening that is so interesting right now is that whilst we always think of Silicon Valley and all that's going on there vis-a-vis the future as kind of a center of disruption, the valley itself right now is going through its own kind of internal disruption, which is a kind of interesting story. Yeah, uh, you know, I, I highlighted a, a magazine story in a the California Sun, uh, what was called this? California Sunday magazine, um, that was charting the sort of trend of young entrepreneurs and people thinking about tech careers who are flocking to uh, the Midwest, and that has everything to do with the cost of living out here, of course, but I think it also just has to do with the realization that maybe we don't, these guys don't need to all be here in Silicon Valley. You know, for, for a while, that's just where all of the energy was, but it has sort of uh, become much more diffuse and you're starting to see these sort of competing hubs of uh, activity throughout the country. So I think, I don't know that I have an opinion on it. It seems like a good, a good thing, especially for, you know, Midwest, cities that could use um, that economic activity that, uh, that they start to see sort of the same kind of benefits that we've, that we've gotten from having Silicon Valley here. The other way in which California is kind of a model, there, there's certainly all this political talk about a blue wave that certainly may be the outcome of the November elections. We've seen that blue wave here in California for a lot of years, and California is is, is noteworthy in that sense. It's also instructive in, in terms of what it may mean for other places, specifically in the country in general. I, I think so. You know, I, I, uh, I think a lot of people do regard California as sort of the tip of the spear for the country, uh, the direction of the country. So if California is embracing solar panels, that's, you know, that's, that's probably a good sign that uh, renewable energy is, is going to be the thing for the foreseeable future and that we should get on board. So that extends to um, social issues as, as well. California has always, you know, we've been the first, uh, we've been the vanguard with so many sort of um, social policies that have been later emulated by the rest of the country. 
one uh, example we're seeing now is with, uh, you know, the banning of plastic bags and plastic straws and things like that. Um, I think uh, that's something that starts here and spreads across the country. Do you expect anything out of the ordinary really to come from our politics over the course of this year? Hmm, that's a good question. Out of the ordinary. I wish the governor's race was more competitive. Um, <laughs> I, I don't think we're going to see anything uh, unexpected there. Nothing is jumping to mind. No, I mean, in, in many ways, with all the political upheaval going on elsewhere, things are, are pretty predictable, pretty stable in, in so many respects here in California. I mean, we have a few competitive races, but but not so much. Not so much. It's uh, the Democrats are kind of running the board. Um, it sounds like we're not even going to have a a Republican uh, making a go at the, uh, the, the uh, you know Feinstein Senate seat. Yeah, it's it's uh, it's pretty predictable. It's interesting watching Orange County sort of rear up against these um, these sanctuary policies. I think that's I think that's something that um, it's pro- I think Orange County probably represents a larger swath of California on that issue than, than people maybe realize. Um, I think there is quite a bit of angst over these, uh, these sanctuary policies. So that might be some, you know, I think that's a fight that's going to be, that, that, that's, that's a long way from uh, being resolved. Talk a little bit about that. Tell our listeners who, who may not be following what's going on in Orange County as closely as we are, talk a little bit about yeah. what's going on there, what's been going on. Well, the, the, there's been quite, Orange County has really been a sort of epicenter of big news for the, this week. But the big one, I think, the biggest one is um, they decided to join this lawsuit that Trump has filed against California over its over the sanctuary law. And you know, they're, uh, they weren't the first jurisdiction to do that, but they're by far the biggest. So it's sort of being seen as sort of a, a bellwether of, of resistance. Um, so California, Orange County has been the, the the coverage of Orange County for the past couple of years has been, well, Orange County is kind of turning blue. They voted for Hillary, but then they vote unanimously to join this this uh, Trump lawsuit. So it's really interesting. Um, like I said, I, I feel like I have the I have the sense that um, this angst over the sanctuary law is, is much more widespread than people realize. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of people thought we might see in, in this, as you say, not the most competitive of governors' races is more of a divide between north and south in the state, particularly in the race between uh, Newsom and, and Villaraigosa. And, and that real that aspect of it doesn't seem to have emerged very much. Not so far. I agree with you. Um, you know, I, I, I wonder how much people sort of have that regional uh, loyalty uh, these days um, compared to the past. Like, I'm from L.A., so I'm going to vote for the L.A. guy. So many people kind of go back and forth, you know, between the Bay Area and L.A. I think there's a lot of mixing of those populations. People talk much more about the coastal versus inland divide now, right? Right. It's, right. it's become much more, uh, much more sort of prevalent or discussed divide in California than the north-south one. And is it your sense that that divide is growing? I mean, the Orange County thing is, is an example of that. And as you say, it may be just the tip of the iceberg. But in terms of, of some of the angst coming out of the, the inland areas? Oh, I, I think that's definitely true. Um, you know, th- this little tiny outfit that's, that's trying to, um, it's trying to break off all of the sort of conservative parts of the state. Um, it just popped up earlier this year. It's, it's, it's not, it's nothing meaningful, but I thought it kind of signaled a lot of the, um, sentiments that I've 
that I've been sort of reading about in the conservative and rural parts of the state, they are they are fed up with um, what they see as the sort of liberal far left takeover of of the state, and I think there's just a ton of of uh, frustration and angst among people in the conservative parts of the state. It's interesting that while there may be a lot of passion behind it, their numbers are just so small that it's not going to make a whole lot of difference. I suppose I, I would hope that um, our political leaders don't dismiss them on on that account. You know, we should be listening to, to their grievances and, and seeing if there, there aren't ways to um, make them feel involved in the political process. They, that's their, you know, the state of Jefferson types. What they talk about over and over and over again is lack of representation. How nobody listens to them. Nobody's paying any attention to the, to their concerns up there. Um, I think you know, that's that's a valid thing to worry about. What is your sense of what's been one or two of the most underreported stories in California? A lot of people don't have clean drinking water in the, in the uh, Central Valley. Mm-hmm. I have the numbers off the top of my head, but they're staggering. The number of people that just don't have clean drinking water coming out of their taps. Uh, it's not a story you see written about too much. You know, all of our reporters are kind of based in the Bay Area and, you know, the, LA, the greater L.A. area for the most part. So to go out to um, the, the hinterlands takes, you know, you got to get in the car and drive for six hours to <laughs> report those stories. And, you know, the local newspapers in those places, uh, it's not news there. They've, they've been dealing with it for a long time. Um, so I, I, I wonder if many people in the big urban centers of the, of the state realize uh, how big that problem is. You know, pe- people along the coast talk about flyover states. It's like half the state is part of that flyover territory. Right. Yeah, you, you, you know, you sometimes forget how big this state is. Somebody put up a um, superimposed the state on top of, of uh, New England and mm-hmm. put that online. And you realize, wow, it's, it's a big, big state. You know, covered every, you know, you know everywhere from, uh, uh, you know, Maine on down to, I forget how, how big it was. It, it covered, you know, many, many states. And, um, you know, this is just a really, really big, big place. It's interesting for all the power that California has, all the influence that it has in some of the areas that we've been talking about, how few national politicians have emerged out of California, certainly of late. I suppose that's just because we're too we're too liberal out here, right? <laughs> uh, you, you need a Bill Clinton who, um, who you know, kind of has that authenticity of of the middle of the country. Uh, I've been surprised. You know, I'll, I'll tell you a little, little anecdote. So I post. I'm trying to get people to sign up for my newsletter, right? So I post tweets once in a while with a little sign up. And I'll include a picture of just various kind of news scenes that it'll have like a, a, a house on fire and like a homeless person. And one of the images I included was Kamala Harris, just because she's a person in the news. Um, it wasn't meant to like endorse her or anything. It was just a, <laughs> just a news, it's just a news photo. And the amount of vitriol that poured in in the comments under that, uh, that that uh, tweet is just astonishing. Just the the very sort of mention of her sets off just this 
hot-blooded, just vitriol among a lot of people in the country. She's just seen as just, you know, evil. And the same goes for uh, Jerry Brown. He is really seen as just a sort of this master villain out here by a lot of people across the country. And I suppose what's interesting is that most of that vitriol, or certainly a lot of it, comes from people that really don't know very much about either of them. It's just they're from California, they're Democrats, they must be bad. Right. I I try to ignore uh, the the, uh, the nut jobs on Twitter as much as I can. (laughs) But they do... They do, you know, the, it, it's a it's a very specific subset of people that you know go on right. Twitter and write ugly things not uh, under tweets. But it, it it you know it does it does represent a certain sentiment or strain of uh, feeling across the country for sure. California Sun, Mike McFate. Mike, tell people how they can sign up for uh, for the newsletter. Our uh, website is californiasun.co. Without the M, CaliforniaSun.co. There's just a little sign-up field right there, and it's free, uh, free of charge. And you just pop in your email, and you'll start getting the morning email. It'll be in your inbox every morning. Lots of news about California. <laughs> Mike McFate, thank you so much for spending some time with us today. Thanks so much, Jeff. It was fun. Thank you. You're listening to NapaBroadcasting.com, Napa Valley Radio for the way we live now.